This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everybody. What is up? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. I am here. I am sick. I might have COVID. Who fucking knows? Well, I'll know. I'll know in a few hours uh, because Kelly is getting tested. My partner, my my twin flame, is getting tested, and she feels like shit too. She's about a day behind me as far as the way she feels. But this has been um an interesting couple of weeks and moving and getting sick and trying to keep going. Um, the brain fog is not super, super lit, but I was able to get some ivermectin. So if this is COVID and I went ahead and started taking it, if it is COVID, that should help out. And I feel a little better today than I did yesterday. My brain seems to be functioning at about 75%, I'd say. (laughs) So that's better than it was, but this is actually the last podcast I'll be doing in this studio. Um, which now that I say that, it kind of makes me a little bit emotional because <laughs> this is kind of where it all started down here, uh, torturing myself, trying to figure out what the fuck I was going to do with my life once COVID started. And here we are doing this. And, uh, it means a lot to me that all of you have participated and, and supported me through all of this and, and the show is growing and we're doing the thing, you know, I, when I, when I decide I want to do something new and I want to change gears, uh, which I did in a big way when I started talking about politics, um, I know it's it's one of those things where I where I kind of psychologically go through like what that would mean, right? Because it's like, oh, not like I just want to do a thing. That's not really a good enough reason to do anything. I say, okay, is this is this something you will want to do for three years, right? Is this something you can commit three years to? Because it takes about that long to make something really work. You know, you've got to learn. I've learned a ton. I've changed my views a ton in the past year or so since I started. I think it's been about fourteen months since I started doing this. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. I mean, I had a feeling that I would have no shortage of content given the political climate, right? The culture war has only perpetuated <laughs> since starting this. It's gotten more and more ridiculous. And you're seeing, I mean, the the religious right in particular is just losing their shit about, about losing the culture war. And that doesn't, it's similar to the Democrats when they lose an election. It's not, it's not one of those things where they go in and say, hey, Let's self-reflect about this and see why, why we lost. It's let's 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 blame racism or sexism or some other fucking reason. And this the religious right does the same thing when they're losing the culture of the nation. They don't self-reflect and say, well, what what have we done here that was um, non-productive, and how can we adjust our messaging to to share share our message in a way that is easily received and resonates with people? No, it's. It's the liberals' fault. It's the fault of the left, right? It's critical race theory. It's whatever, which a lot of that stuff is trash, but the the the, um, the kind of scapegoating and the blaming is super, super interesting to watch. And it's just like, it's it's that they're mirrors of each other, and it's so interesting. But being able to, being able to watch that and know that there's just no shortage of hypocrisy throughout the world um, really gives me hope as far as creating content because I don't see it changing. And the best we can fucking do is try and get our minds right, keep our head on straight, and do what's best for us. And I hope that that's what this show provides. And just, I don't know why leaving this this studio and moving into a standalone building that will be the politically homeless headquarters um, is, I don't know, it means a lot to me that, that, that this thing that we're doing um, has the potential to even 
deserve that kind of studio situation that I even deserve that. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm just feeling a lot of gratitude right now. Maybe it's the COVID. Who knows? Maybe gratitude is a side effect of COVID. We'll see. It doesn't seem that way. Um, but we've got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on today. We're going to cover, you know, like I said, I've been uh, sick this week and it's been it's been pretty brutal. I don't really like doing shows on Fridays as far as a, as far as a um, show performance uh, metric. It's not the best day to put out a show, but fuck it. The content must go on. We're doing what we can and I'm going to do my best to provide you guys with some quality content right now. I finished the Bo Burnham special on Netflix last night and I've got to say like that, that's something where it, it was, if, if you've seen it, um, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, I recommend watching it because he made this special over throughout a year of, of COVID really. It started with COVID and, and, um, he kind of tells a story, but you see this guy who's clearly creative, but like most comedians, he's he struggles with his mental health, you know, and I think anybody like, and I can say that about myself to a degree, um, any comedians that I know or people that are performers in a certain way. And as small as this show is and the platform is like, it is a performance, right? When the camera's on you, you turn into a different thing. Um, and that's, that's just the reality. No matter how hashtag authentic you think you are, like that's just what it is, right? You have a persona. Um, I'm grateful that I've spent years of my life essentially performing for people, whether it was as a uh, hosting seminars or as a strength and conditioning coach, just being in front of groups um, or coaching little league when I was young, these kind of things were all stuff that I, I did. And looking back at it now, it's like, it was all pretty performative in a weird way. And I think that's just a, a um, an honest assessment of what it's like for people who want to be in front of people a lot and, and need that validation. So there's always some kind of like desire, some, some need for validation wrapped up in that. And you see these people that, that are used to performing for legitimate crowds and being out there and doing the thing, having that taken away from them through COVID and then just spiraling into a really dark place. And what Bo Burnham does in his special, it's called inside it's on Netflix. Um, he shows that whole kind of, kind of progress process, um, throughout you know, he turns 30 in the middle of recording this thing. It's funny. It's interesting. It's dark. It's heavy. It's, it's a lot of things and it's, um, it's really interesting. So saying that I, I recommend everybody go watch that thing. Uh, that special is really cool. It's like an hour and a half. It does get a little bit, um, long. It feels long, but it's also COVID feels long. You know, the, the, the lockdowns felt long. It, it fits, it fits that. And I know the last thing we want to do is go like make jokes about COVID. I went and saw Tim Dillon the other day. And like, I just couldn't, I just, I can't deal with the COVID jokes, but this was more of a peek inside a creative person's mind as they spiral out of fucking, uh, out, out of the healthy, um, out of the healthy mindset. And it, it was really interesting. Something else, else that's really interesting that happened. I just found out about today was this, um, Shakuri Richardson tested positive for weed. So she's not allowed to run in the Olympics. Uh, she's a hundred meter runner. She's kind of a bad bitch from what I've seen. Like she always has those really crazy long nails and just like does it big and, her mother passed away. Uh, apparently, she was struggling with that pretty hard, rightfully so, and tested, po- you know, smoked a little weed, tested positive, and now she will not run in the hundred meter um, sprint in the Olympics, which is completely fucking retarded. Like, give me a fucking break. Are we still doing this with the? It's twenty twenty one. Our government makes money from weed, and here we are at the Olympic Games, and she cannot run her race, which she trains for her life is running the hundred meter dash, right? Doing that 
and then her mom dies. She smokes a little weed. It doesn't matter if she's high while she's running. I don't give a shit. It's not a performance enhancing drug, right? It's just, what is this? We're seeing that now. And, and one of the things I hope that comes out of this and what I've seen just on Instagram and social media today is it's like a public outcry of like, what in the actual fuck? What in the actual fuck is this? Are we really doing this right now? And something else that's come up that kind of has this what in the actual fuck response is the Bill Cosby situation, which we're not going to go into in depth here. Um, but what, the, what in the fuck, right? What is this? It's just another like wealthy, famous dude, uh, well-connected guy, America's dad, who raped like uh, allegedly like 70 fucking women, roofied and raped 70 some odd women. And he's free on a technicality because the prosecutor had promised him a non-prosecution agreement if he testified in a civil course, which is, he got released on, on, on legal grounds. It was the right call. But that, what, the, what the fuck was that prosecutor thinking here? He testified that he roofied and raped a woman. And it was the only one where the statute of limitations had not um, passed. And we have this. And it's just like, if you think, if you, why, why would, if that happens, right? This, this Cosby situation happens where it's clear, a known secret, thanks to Hannibal Burris, who put this on the spot and gave people the courage to step forward. You have this situation. And somehow... We're expected to respect, respect the, our criminal justice system. Like, what a fucking joke! What, 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 what institutions in our country now actually deserve our respect? Really? Our politicians sure as fuck don't. Our criminal justice system is a goddamn joke. Like, what is this? Our our, our our tech industry is is just an arm and a leg of the fucking in, in, in intelligence organizations. Like what are, what is what are we doing here? Like and we're gonna get into some of this later when it comes to war and doing the right thing. Um, but we've got some we've got we've got a mess on our hands here that we've got to clean up. And these fucking people uh, getting off, you know, raping people for decades. And it's like, yeah, you, you can just, if you're just, if you're wealthy and well-known and well-connected, you can just rape away. Just go for it. Do what you need to do. I mean, whatever, you're not going to get punished for it. You know, Harvey Weinstein, I think, is the only person who actually came to any kind of justice. And that was far after this was a well-known thing that he was, that he was up to, which is weird. But pivoting in a very <laughs> interesting way, uh, we got merch, y'all. The merch pre-orders end on July 4th. So... We did a pre-order run because I want to keep inventory of the merch, but I wanted to know what people were into. Uh, maybe the summertime wasn't the best time to launch a hoodie, but I will tell you the hoodie is, uh, it's light, it's comfy, it's nice to just like lounge around the house in. We've got hoodies, we've got um, short sleeve crop tops for the ladies or fellas, whatever, whoever wants to wear a crop top. We've got t-shirts, we've got Yetis, and we've got stickers. Now, if you're in the Politically Homeless Patreon, which I hope that you are, uh, you've got a little gift coming your way. Those are getting shipped out today. So a little, a little thank you for being in the Patreon. Those are going out today. And if you join, everybody who joins the Patreon gets a little special little gift in the mail from me. <laughs> so um, be sure to be on the lookout for that. But if you really want to support this show, like I, there's one thing to ask for support, right? But I always want to provide something for you guys. And I think that the politically homeless t-shirts, the stickers, the hoodies, like all this stuff um, is one, a way to let people know where you stand and kind of speak up for this because what we're a part of in this, and I really believe this is a politically homeless movement. Um, it's just being kind of radically independent, you know, making decisions on policy decision, making decisions on policy points based on our value systems and based on our principles. 
Um, that's what we really stand for. And I think that that's something that's, that's non-controversial, right? It's non-controversial. I, th- I know that people like um, David Duke or Robin D'Angelo say that individualism is um, a problem which fits a certain narrative. You're, if you're a critical race theorist or a racist. Um, but in my opinion, I think that there's individualism is what makes us kind of a beautiful species. You know, we are a problematic species and an overpopulated species, but beautiful nonetheless and able to create out of our individualism. And I think that that's something that's really rad. So if you want to support the show, you want to support the movement, check that out. Um, you can go to politicallyhomeless.us. That is our website. I don't think I've even, even announced that yet, but politicallyhomeless.us, you can uh, find the merch there. And then just a little bit of housekeeping. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. I am bringing back the interview show. I will not tell you the name of it, even though the name is going to be rad. And we'll be having conversations there with people that I find influential, um, maybe some debates, and and definitely going to have some people on from the right, from the left, right of me, left of me, which is pretty easy to find, and get into the weeds. So if you have anyone that you want me to have a conversation with, if you want me to reach out to someone, uh, if you want to connect me to someone that you think would be a good fit, um, find me on Instagram, shoot me a DM, send me someone's profile, I'll check it out. If I agree, um, I'll reach out and make it happen. I've got a few people on the list that I think you are really going to love. But I'm really excited about that. And if you're in the Patreon, you will get um, early access to all of those conversations and ad-free episodes of every single thing that we do. Okay, a lot of housekeeping. I'm out of breath now. i got to play this intro music and breathe a little bit so I can get into the state of things. Whew, man. Stuff's no joke. (laughs) All right, we're back. Let's do it. State of Things coming up right now. <coughs> right now. All right. Joe motherfucking Biden. So everybody was pretty stoked whenever I... Um, brought up a Glenn Greenwald article on the show and we're doing it again. I love Glenn. I love Glenn. <laughs> the old trope, speak truth to power. Glenn Greenwald does that better than anybody else in my opinion. So we've got this article here from Glenn it says Biden's lawless bombing of Iraq and Syria only serves the weapon industry funding both parties. The U S citizens derive no benefit, but instead suffer great loss from endless wars in the middle East, but their interests are irrelevant to decisions of bipartisan Washington. And we got to think about bipartisan Washington. Let's just take that one statement right there. Bipartisan Washington, the things that are uh, agreed on between both political parties are generally things that the American population fucking hates 80% of the American population does not want to be in, in a war in the Middle East. That doesn't fucking matter, though. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because the war machine has more power than you, especially this motherfucker right here, Lloyd Austin, who worked at Raytheon after retiring from the army <laughs> as a general. It was the, I think it was the head of Raytheon. Like This motherfucker worked in the military-industrial complex in this revolving door of, of bullshit that led him right back into the Biden administration where he and his homies in the military-industrial complex, whether it be Boeing or Lockheed Martin or Atheon, um, are stacking cash and rely on endless wars to feed their families. So, yeah, right, as, as if it's that simple. But 
we've got this situation here. So I just want to pull out the first kind of couple paragraphs and just highlight some of this and share some of this and then talk about um, hypocrisy and some Trump stuff as well. So it says, for the second time in five months uh, since he was inaugurated president, Joe Biden on Sunday ordered a U.S. bombing raid on Syria. And for the first time, he also bombed Iraq. The rationale offered by the same was the same as Biden's first airstrike in February. Uh, the U.S., in the, world, in the words of Pentagon spokesman John Kirby, conducted a defensive precision airstrike against facilities used by Iran-backed militia groups in the Iraq-Syria border region. He added that the United States acted uh, pursuant in its right of self-defense. <sighs> okay. Embedded in this formulaic, formulaic Pentagon statement, is so much propaganda and so much use, so many use, euphemisms that by itself it reveals the fraudulent nature of what was done. To begin with, how can the U.S. airstrikes carried out in Iraq and Syria be defensive in nature? How can they be an act of self-defense? Nobody suggests that the targets of the bombing campaign have the in intent or the capability to strike the U.S. homeland itself. Neither Syria nor Iraq in a U is a U.S. colony or American property, nor does the U.S. have any legal right to be fighting wars in either country. Rendering the claim that, it, that its airstrikes were defensive and an act of self-defense to be inherently deceitful. Yeah, 100%. This entire fucking war is deceitful. It's been deceitful since the, since the fucking beginning. This has never been a war based on merits or values or integrity. This is a war that was perpetuated to enrich the military-industrial complex as I say, and has continued to do that for over 20 fucking years. 20 fucking years. And in 20 years, you can become pretty reliant as, as a Raytheon of the world that this is not going to stop. When you have 800 military bases around the world, you know you're going to be supplying people with whatever. And then whatever you have left over, you can just sell to the fucking cops because that makes a ton of sense. And anyways... You see people on the right freaking out about this, but let's not forget, let's move on here. Trump bombs Syria after 88 lawmakers urge him to consult Congress first. Now, when we look at this and we think about the, the broader scheme here, these are acts of war, right? These are acts of war, not self-defense. These are acts of war and they should require congressional approval. That's fundamental and Glenn Greenwald goes into that in the article. I highly recommend you read the entire thing and subscribe to his Substack. But that's integral to the Constitution of the United States. That is an essential part of war making within the Constitution. Because the founding fathers, for their faults, knew that people would pursue war as, as part of their own glory, right? Or to enrich people. Like this is a this is a this isn't a new concept when it comes to creating war. And these are very much acts of war, by no means act of acts of self-defense. And thanks to people like Dick Cheney, the executive branch has gotten more and more power to make war throughout this time. So let's not let's not listen to the right wing fucking hypocrisy talking about criticizing Biden for bombing Syria when Trump did the exact same thing. But what we can do is pull back one more layer of hypocrisy here. Here. And Fox News has this article up, which is one thing that Fox News, the actual news wing of Fox, is good for. Past Biden and Saki tweets criticizing Trump resurface after new Syria airstrikes. And these are from this is from the initial airstrike in February. So Jen Psaki says, also, what is the legal authority for the strikes? Assad is a brutal dictator, but Syria is a sovereign country. Really, Jen? 
Really? <laughs> Ilhan Omar says, great question. <laughs> uh, I do like how Ilhan Omar just like shits on Democrats. It's funny. Um, and then Joe Biden had a, had a live stream here where he says, this afternoon I'll be d- discussing Donald Trump's recent actions in Syria and how this erratic impulsive decision endangered our troops and made us all less safe. Tune in at 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Eastern time to watch live. So, what we're seeing here is that, yeah, when it's when it's important for you to get elected, you're going to speak up and be like, this is dangerous, this is problematic, and the right's doing that right now because they'll do anything to essentially do exactly what the liberal media did to Trump, to Biden, because that's the fucking world and clusterfuck that we live in, and that's why partisan media is just going down the toilet rapidly. But we see this here. And and it's so clear. It's in our face. Now, if you only watch one side of the of the of the news spectrum, you're going to get you know this was this was actually defensive or this was a massive overreach. But at the end of the day, what we're looking at here is this is three presidents long, right? This is Obama. This is Trump. This is Biden. And whoever's next will probably be the same fucking thing. And that is that's that's disgusting. That's disgusting. And it's something as Americans we should be ashamed of. We really should. Like this isn't. I understand. Like you, you would get a lot of shit back in the day if you spoke out against the um, the war in Iraq, right? Uh, Sagar and Jetty talks about that all the time. How he he caught shit for it whenever um, I think he was in high school or college when this was going on, and and. We look at this, and it, it didn't take. It took a couple of years for me to be like. I think it was actually when Obama was running for president that I was like, "Yeah, these wars in Iraq um, and the Middle East are just a shit show. <laughs> these aren't. These aren't. These aren't good." But then you have um, Obama just doing the same shit, right? A massive failure, which led to the presidency of Donald Trump, and then he did the same shit. And now we got Biden doing the same shit. So it's the same shit, different skin tone, whether it's blackish, orange, or old, white, and pasty. It's the same goddamn. Thing. So let's keep that in mind. Let's speak truth when it's necessary. And let's not allow partisanship to coat our judgment when it comes to criticizing and holding these people to account. It's something we have to do at scale in mass. And that's the only way we're going to get any change. Re- elect representatives that speak up and against this kind of behavior. We need to do this over the next several years to make some real things happen. And that is the only thing that we can really do to end this needless loss of life, this needless war making, and these fucking war crimes that are by no means legal or helpful or for the protection of the goddamn United States after we've killed millions of civilians in the last 50 years in the Middle East. Give me a fucking break. If I have to hear this self-defense bullshit one more time, oh my God, it's a joke. It's a joke. With that being said, let's move on. We are seeing some massive shifts in the way that capitalism and socialism are viewed in the United States, in the United States, especially um, in that 18 to 34 year old demographic. So Axios just released this article. It says America's continued move towards socialism. So I have some problems with that headline. It's very clickbaity. It's very misleading. But I think there are some broader things that we can explore here that may actually shed some light on some progress that is being made, in my opinion, in the United States in my generation. So it says just half of younger Americans now hold a positive view of capitalism and socialism's appeal in the U.S. continues to grow, driven by by black Americans and women, women, according to a new Axios Momentive poll. 
Shifts are happening on the right as well as the left, at least among those under 35. Just 66% of Republicans and GOP leaners in the ages of 18 to 34 have a positive view of capitalism. This is down from 81% in January 2019. That's a huge jump in just a couple of years. 56% of young Republicans say the government should pursue policies that reduce the wealth gap up from just 40% two years ago. In 2009, 58% of Americans ages 13 or 18 to 34 reacted positively to the word capitalism, and that has plunged to 49% to today. Back then, 35, 39% of all U.S. adults viewed socialism positive, positively, and that has ticked up to 41%. Socialism has positive connotations for 60% of black Americans, 45% of American women, and 33% of non-white Republicans. Only 48% of American women view capitalism in a positive light, down from 51% two years ago. Today, 18 to 34-year-olds are almost evenly split between those who view capitalism positively and those who view it negatively, 49 to 46%. Two years ago, the margin was a gaping 20 points, 58 to 38%. So when we look at this, and this is an interesting poll. I think what's happening isn't a move towards socialism necessarily, but an openness to ideas, right? There are places in the world where markets are incredibly valuable. And if regulated properly, I know libertarians will get upset with me for saying that, but if regulated properly in our government, if it actually did its job, um, we'd be great, right? Letting the market do its thing. There are some areas of our society where that is not the case, right? Where the free market actually diminishes the the productivity for the American people. So when we look at this, it's not necessarily about, oh, we should be a socialist nation or a capitalist nation. It's, it, it's more targeted than that because we're fucking smarter than that. And we've created an environment where productivity is through the roof, up hundreds of percent from, from 50 years ago, right? Like we can do so much more with so much less energy, but we're working longer hours. We're more on the hook. We're always connected. Thanks to this fucking thing, the cell phone, right? We're, we're always just one, uh, one thumb button away from being connected to our, to our job. And our job has become our entire life, which is by no means healthy mentally. We're seeing that in, the, in, in, in younger people dying of overdose and suicide at all-time high rates. So we have to understand that's a very clear metric. Are people living or are they fucking dying? Sagar and Jetty said that as well. We're just going to keep talking about him today. But it's a very clear metric, and people are fucking dying. People are depressed. Mental health is fucked. And we're in this situation where we need to have a more nuanced approach, a more heterodox view of what's going on. Maybe the free market in medicine is not the best move. Maybe it's not the best move. That leads to things like pharmaceutical companies leveraging their influence to choose profit over helping people, over healing people. We've seen a ton of that with the use of, with, with the barred use of ivermectin, right? A, a, a medicine that's won a Nobel Prize and has very low side effects and it seems to have e efficacy, but you're barred from getting it, right? That is not by any means the free market. And, and we have this kind of like socialism for the rich or socialism for the powerful, and rugged individualism for everybody else. So in this situation, I think what people are noticing is that our government isn't doing what it should. There are things that the government should be capable of doing that it's, it is not. In some areas of life, they need to stay the fuck out, right? So we have more and more people kind of falling into this libertarian socialist um, 
politically homeless category. You know, I consider myself a libertarian socialist because I think there's some areas, and especially in civil life, where the government needs to, need, needs to leave me the fuck alone, right? Especially when it comes to like drug laws or how I should do my marriage or any of these other kind of things, where I should live, what kind of trees I have in my yard, like these kind of things where the government get, puts their fucking hands in where they don't belong. And then there's some areas where government needs to do what it's supposed to fucking do. And if it just focused on the things that it should do, we'd be way better off. But instead, it's, 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 it's now pervasive in every aspect of life, which is a fucking problem. And more and more people are seeing that. And it's creating more and more productive dialogue. So it's one of those things I wanted to highlight. I wanted to show this because I think this is actually a massive step in the right direction. People like Ben Shapiro will cry about this and freak out about this and whatever, whatever. But those people don't accept nuance. They have, they're allergic to nuance. Same thing with people on the left. They'll praise this and be like, we're on our way to socialism. Yay. AOC is so excited. Again, aren't capable of accepting nuance. But what I think most of us live in, the 65% of us that don't give a fuck about political parties, looking at this and saying, all right, we can, now we can have a productive discussion because people aren't fear-mongered into hating socialism and people aren't, aren't propagandized into loving capitalism, even when it's not in their best interest. So really interesting article here. Super curious to see how this goes. And I'd love to see some more broad polling on this when it comes to other generations. I don't really give a fuck what people under 18 have to say about anything, honestly, because they haven't really lived a life, but I'd be curious to see what the shifts are in the older generation as well. But more to come, good stuff, feels productive, feels good, and um, I hope we can have some more productive dialogue over this. Good stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of Element, which I have absolutely been pounding trying to stay hydrated through whatever this illness is that I have, this mystery illness. Um, here's the deal, y'all. We're in summer right now. You're out. You're doing things. I hope you're being active. I hope you're out in the woods, in the water, doing what you need to do. Maybe you're drinking a little bit. Maybe you're partying. Maybe you're down at Barton Springs. Maybe you're out on a boat. Maybe you're wake surfing. Who fucking cares? Doesn't matter. You need to be hydrated, okay? Especially if you're boozing, especially if you're partying, especially if you're sweating your ass off. And I hope you're doing all of those things and getting around people and having a great, great, great time. So, Element combines uh, salt, electrolytes, and magnesium in a way that optimizes absorption. They have tons of great flavors and they just came out with watermelon and grapefruit for the summer. But if you want to try it out on the cheap, if you want to get a, a sample pack and, and try out seven different or a few different flavors, seven different packets um, of their favorite and most uh, popular flavors... I'm all over the place today. My brain is not really working, but I'm doing my best here. Bear with me. You can go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders and get a variety pack. Just cover shipping. It's $5 and you can try it out. But that's not really enough. I mean, seven packets will last you a little while, but I highly recommend grabbing yourself the watermelon, the grapefruit, and or the lemon habanero. They come in big packages. They last a long time. And this stuff is so good. You will be drink guaranteed you'll be drinking more water right? I take a mason jar, fill it with water, drop an element in there every morning. I've been doing at least two since I've been sick and it's really helped me stay hydrated. Also been working a lot at the new house, trying to get things done again, just like out weed eating the pasture and doing, doing different things. And it's been really nice, especially when you're hot. It's so refreshing. And even if you, even if you want to make a little bit of a cocktail or something like that, the lemon habanero can make a really Really good margarita. Just play a little bit around with the uh, the strength that you want. A little bit more per amount of water. Mix a little bit of ice, a little bit of tequila. Squeeze some lime in there. Bada bing, bada boom. You got a little buzz going and you're staying hydrated in the meantime. Much better than any, any other mixers. Much better. 
much better for you. And then if you get a little bit of a hangover, also super helpful for that as well. All kinds of people use this stuff from the military to athletes to just high performers in general. Maybe you're not any of those things, but you can still benefit from that dank goodness that is Element. So check it out, y'all. DrinkElement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Wanders. The link is in the show notes. Get you some. Stay moist. Perform better. You'll thank me as soon as you put that stuff in your mouth. Do it. DrinkElement.com slash Wanders. So as most of you have heard, screaming on the internet, Complaining and crying everywhere, especially from the right. Gwen Berry um, placed third in the Olympic trials or some national whatever in the hammer throw and then protested the national anthem, which none of us should really care all that much about. Black athletes have done that for a long time. You remember the fist raising type of stuff? And um, she's entitled to whatever she wants to do. It's freedom of speech. Who cares? Not me, not most people, but... Ben Shapiro cares. Ben Shapiro cares a lot. So we've got this seven-minute clip that he just thought was great, good enough to put on his YouTube channel, and we're going to play the whole fucking thing, maybe with a few pauses here and there, and just see where we agree, where we disagree. All right, let's dive in. I knew that the national anthem did not speak for people like me in America. The freedom, liberty, and justice for all, it is not for black people. Gwenberry knows where, what the math is here. She knows that she's going to get rich and famous off of this. Nobody's heard of her yesterday. Everybody's heard of her today. So she knows that she'll get attention. She'll get a Nike deal. She'll get rich and famous off of this. Um, and that's different than you complaining about Cardi B. How? That's different than you crying about Satan shoes for attention. How? How is that different than what you do, Ben? Question worth asking. Yeah, let's talk about the issue of race in the United States. Okay, so in order for us to live, in a common polity, we have to understand certain basic agreements, right? Even if you believe in a sort of federalist perspective, in a libertarian perspective, there have to be certain basic premises, which is that we all share a country for a reason and that the country is rooted in some fundamental good. If you believe that the country is fundamentally bad and wrong and it needs to be completely remade. This argument right here is one of the most reductionist and moronic things I've ever heard come out of Ben Shapiro's mouth. It is not that simple. You can love your country. You can be proud of your country and also understand that your country needs to take responsibility for the things that it's fucked up. Those are, those are, those can, you can have those coexisting ideas at the same time. That does not make you unpatriotic. It doesn't make you un-American. It doesn't make you problematic. But, you know, Ben Shapiro loves cancel culture, apparently. Particularly along authoritarian lines. Well, that is going to lead to conflict. Well, half the country cheers that second perspective at this point. Right, which is why you see Gwen Berry making national news. We now live in a country where you become more rich and more famous for boycotting the national anthem than you do for simply standing up for the national anthem. In baseball in the 1970s, there was this very famous circumstance where Rick Monday, who was an outfielder at the time for the Chicago Cubs, it was a Wrigley Field, and Rick Monday went and, uh, and grabbed, a, there was a guy trying to, he ran onto the field, he was trying to burn the American flag. Rick Monday came over and, and grabbed the American flag away from him, and he was cheered for this. Today, the player himself would be lighting the American flag on fire in the outfield and the media would be cheering for him. So Gwen Berry has made international headlines because at the Olympic trials, she decided to turn her face away from the flag and to make faces during the national anthem and then to post about what a courageous fighter she was. The reason why we are all paying attention to you, Gwen Berry, is because you want us to pay attention to you. You want the attention. The quick path to fame and riches in the United States is to crap all over the flag, not to pay attention to the flag. Being paid or to argue with college kids who don't have fully formed ideas and then put that on the internet under the title, Ben Shapiro owns leftists. Left, leftist. 
Ben Shapiro owns transgender advocate. Yeah, that that that's not attention seeking and, and 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 grifting by any stretch of the imagination. Sorry, Ben, uh, my, my mistake. Patriotic is considered rote and hackneyed. Burning the flag is considered forward thinking and wonderful by at least half the country, which means there can't by at least half the country. Do you know how not true that is? Like that is just objectively fucking false. Half you think if you if you put out a poll, you know the next election, like okay, who thinks it's okay to burn the flag? You might get twenty percent, maybe, maybe, but half the country, you're now you're now you're a villain. It's the same thing that people did to Trump supporters, right? If you're a Trump supporter, you're a Nazi. Well, now Ben Shapiro says, well, if you're not a Trump supporter, if you're not a, if you're not a conservative, if you if you have any nuance at all, you hate America and you want to burn the flag. How is this? This the hypocrisy just knows no bounds, none at all. Give me a fucking break, Ben. Be any sort of unified polity. There have to be some things that we agree on on a broad level. And by the way, if you're if you are representing the United States, and when he says there has to be some things that we agree on on a broad level, you're saying that people need to agree with you on a broad level. That's what you're saying, Ben. You're not saying that you're going to change your ideas or your thoughts or your perspectives based on what other people say or think or mean or experience. You're saying that people need to agree with you on a broad level for this place to be better than it is. And that is narcissism, my friend, and narcissism. Ask your doctor wife about that. That's a thing. States, and for example, the Pan American Games, as Gwen Berry did, right? She, she did in 2019, and she got in hot water with the International Olympic Committee, the, the United States Olympic Committee, specifically because she decided that she was going to raise her fist during the national anthem in protest of something or other. And, um, and then the New York Times gave her space, right? Because that is how this works. So she's been attempting to get attention for this sort of stuff for, for quite a while, despite the fact that Gwen Berry has lived a pretty amazing life in the United States, as it turns out. Gwen Berry grew up in her grandparents' home. There were 13 people in the home, in her grandmother's home. And then she had a baby out of wedlock at the age of 15, got a scholarship to go to Southern Illinois University, and she's made a career ever since throwing a hammer. That's kind of an amazing thing in the United States. Right? You know- okay, let's just let's break this down. I didn't even notice this the first time through. Look at this. She had kind of an amazing life. She was born into poverty with 13 people in the same house, and then she had a kid at 15 out of wedlock, blah, 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 I guess if that matters. And then the only reason she got out of that is because she's an incredible athlete. So she's part of the 0.0.1% of people who are incredible athletes that can compete at the Olympic level, right? And that's an amazing success story. If she couldn't throw a hammer along ass ways, she'd be living in fucking poverty. And you're going to say, it's, a, it's an amazing success story. What in the actual fuck are you talking about, Ben? I don't hear a lot of stories like that in other places, but the utter ingratitude is the point. Also, in other places. So let's talk about how other places create Olympic athletes. You go to something called sports school. If you're in Russia or China, you get taken out of regular school and you go to sports school where you learn gymnastics, weightlifting, hammer throwing, swimming, running from the age of fucking 10. And you do that. You live there away from your parents and you go to school at sports school, that's why they win fucking gold medals and things like weightlifting and other really intense sports, wrestling. That's why they're so good, okay? So yeah, you don't hear about things like that in other countries because they have a system to win gold medals. That's what they do. So this is a very different scenario. Give me a break. So here is Gwen Berry speaking to the New York Times. It's just about a year ago talking about how cruel it was that people were angry at her for protesting the American flag 
and the national anthem, again, while voluntarily joining a team to represent the United States. We're not talking about a regular, even Colin Kaepernick playing for an NFL team and deciding he doesn't like the national anthem like adult. We're talking about somebody whose overt job is to represent the United States, and we're supposed to cheer them when they crap all over the United States. And the New York Times thinks that this is great. You're not supposed to do anything. That's the thing. It's like, if you're going to protest the national anthem, you are accepting that a lot of people will not like that. And that's part of protesting. It wouldn't be protesting if you expected everybody to be on board with you. That's not how that works. Here was more straw man. Wenberry talking about this just last year. So last summer at the Pan American Games, I threw 74 meters and I won gold. Damn, that's a long ass ways. I remember the medal was so heavy and so real. I was excited. I was nervous. In that moment when the national anthem was playing, I knew that the national anthem did not speak for people like me in America. The freedom, liberty, and justice for all, it is not for black people. Something came over me. I raised my fist. I felt like I was not at peace with myself if I had not said something or did something in that moment. Okay, let's point out something. She says that the national anthem and the flag are not for her. She is literally sitting there wearing a shirt that says United States Pan-American team with the American flag on it. Weird. Weird how you're... She's an athlete wearing the shirt that she needs to wear for the interview. That's how that works, Ben. You're not an athlete, so you wouldn't know, but that's how that goes. Very happy to take the notoriety associated with representing the United States and then to crap all over the national anthem and the American flag. But this has become mainstream thinking on the left. Okay, they they cannot offend people who wish to tear away any common symbol of the United States. Again, I'm all for diversity of viewpoint. She has a right to protest. She does. She doesn't have a right to, to protest while representing the United States. Okay, so her right to pro- her right to free speech goes away when she earns a spot at the fucking Olympic Games. Are you fucking kidding me, Ben Shapiro? Her right to free speech has now been limited because she is an Olympic athlete? Are you fucking retarded? That makes absolutely no sense. You do not get to decide when someone has a right to free speech or not Ben Shapiro. Jesus fucking Christ. Per se, because it's a weird thing. It's like, as Charles Cook of the National Review suggested, it's like saying that you're going to play for the New York Yankees, you get signed by the New York Yankees, you sign the contract, and the first thing you say is, I'm never wearing pinstripes. I'm only wearing a red uniform. That is like, well, the most no, that's not ridiculous how analogy but ever. I've ever in heard. the United States, free country, she can say whatever she wants. If we are to have a common polity, however, there has to be certain basic agreements on certain things. Like, you don't get to invade other people's individual rights, so her rights are not being invaded. Also, we should have a baseline level of social agreement that there are some common symbols that carry some sort of sacred unity representing those rights. But we don't want to unify over all that. So you have Jen Psaki from the White House defending this sort of stuff. I haven't spoken to the president specifically about this, but I know he's incredibly proud to be an American uh, and has great respect for the anthem and all that it represents, especially for our men and women serving in uniform all around the world. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country haven't lived up to our highest ideals, and it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. That should be the most non-controversial statement ever. The president is proud to be American, and he also respects people's constitutional right to free speech and constitutional right to peacefully protest. I thought Ben Shapiro was a fan of the Constitution, wanted to uphold the Constitution. Where did that, where did that go, Ben? Where did that, what happened there? Of course we respect the right of people to peacefully protest. It doesn't mean you're not an idiot 
depending on how you protest. But again, Let's talk this about is, being idiots. Wenberry uh, knows where, what the math is here. She knows that she's going to get rich and famous off of this. Nobody had heard of her yesterday. Everybody's heard of her today. It's that simple. Good. Capitalism, baby. An unhealthy baby. country is one that celebrates people who spend their day tearing down the country while purportedly representing the country. That is not a particularly good thing. All these cultural issues matter. They do. Especially because the kind of idea that America is inherently bad will be crammed down on your kids, right? It's not as though this is a, a, a everybody has their own perspective game. People in the United States government- This idea that, 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 that the cultural war is being crammed into your kids- I can't get behind this. This is so odd. It's like, it's important for our kids to know where America fucked up. If you're not teaching people where America fucked up, if you're not teaching people the, the, the things that, that power, the negative side effects of power and westward expansion or slavery or Jim Crow era laws, or there's so many different things. If you're not teaching kids that, then you're not teaching kids history. You're teaching them propaganda. That is not accurate. That is not fair. It's not balanced. And it's just fucking not true. So the idea that this culture war is like indoctrinating your kids to be anti-American, it's indoctrinating your kids to an honest history of the fucking United States. Now, that doesn't mean critical race theory is good. That's not the same thing. But these people like to conflate the two. Lump the two together, right, in this like slippery slope argument, this logical fallacy, in a way that then throws the baby out with the bathwater so they can then deny that that the United States has done anything wrong. And that's the end goal here government right now in the educational system wish to push you to believe all the same sort of stuff. They wish to teach the 1619 Project in schools. They wish your kids to be indoctrinated in this sort of nonsense ideology. Which wouldn't have happened if the history we hadn't learned in schools wasn't fucking propaganda in the first place. The denial of responsibility by leadership and that being projected into our history education is the reason we have things like the 1619 Project gaining traction. It's a response. It's an equal and opposite response to a propagandized education. Theology in college. Corporations mirror this sort of stuff. Right? That is a dangerous thing in the United States because this is a battle for power. It is. And it turns out the people who respect the American flag the most are also the ones who are basically going to be okay with people in the private sphere doing what exactly Wenberry does. And again, I'm fine with that on a, on a basic kind of dissent level. But the people who do what Gwen Berry does in control of power are going to be very intolerant of anybody having a pro-America viewpoint. There's a bit of a zero-sum game going on here. Okay, well, that's Ben Shapiro, everybody. And here's to sum that up. I think we did enough uh, screaming and yelling there. I stand with Gwen Berry, not because I agree with her, but because I appreciate, respect, and admire everyone's ability to have free speech and our right to have free speech and our right to protest. Carl Nassib becomes first active NFL player to come out as gay. Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib on Monday came out uh, or became the first active NFL player to come out as gay. Nassib, who entered his sixth NFL season and second with the Raiders, announced the news on Instagram saying he wasn't doing it for the attention, but he felt... uh, representation and visibility were important. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say I'm gay. (laughs) That's a great way to come out. Nasib said in his video message from his home in Westchester, Pennsylvania, I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy can ask for. 
I'm a pretty private person, so I know you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. I am also incredibly thankful for the NFL, my coaches, my fellow players for their support. I would not have been able to do this without them. From the jump, I I was greeted with the utmost respect and acceptance. Now, this is great. Now, Nasib is a, is a defensive end, which is a, um, I think in the gay community, they would call that a, a, he's a bear. He's a big man. He's a large man, which kind of breaks the mold as uh, to what we think of as like gay, right? It's like, this is a big, strong, athletic dude. Now, if you think this is the first active NFL player that likes to get dicked down, well, you're wrong, right? But it is really cool that in the NFL, a hyper-masculine sport, we can, it's like not a big deal. Like, think about this that I thought was great is that it wasn't that big of a deal to the majority of people. No one really cared that much, which I think is progress, right? It's like, oh, cool, like, this defensive end is gay, like, uh, awesome. And he's, he's also played six seasons, which is kind of a, um, a, a challenge in itself to get that far. I think the average is about two to three seasons for most NFL athletes. So that says a lot about his ability to play. So there's a lot more going on here than him. Just like, a, it makes no sense for as a cry for attention. Like he said there, like it's not really what it is, but the visibility uh, and representation are very important. And this does fall outside of this kind of like traditionally or stereotypical gay, um, you know, kind of situation. So then, this has got really fun. The NFL launched this ad right here. This football is gay, football is queer, football is accepting ad. Let's check it out. Football is gay. <laughs> football is lesbian. Okay, football is beautiful. Football is queer, life, exciting, transgender, heart, power, tough, bisexual, freedom, American. Football is accepting. Football is everything. That's a lot to reach. Football is for everyone. NFL, rainbow flag NFL. NFL proudly supports the Trevor Project. LBGTQ, da 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 Cool, so that ad, a little 30 second ad spot from the NFL, doing a little bit of virtue signaling, of course, but this sparked an outrage on the right, on the religious right, right especially. And you had some people saying like, this is immoral. <laughs> this, is, this is an immoral ad, which is fucking absurd. The thing about it is, and with all this advertising, right? Like, this is not going to turn people away from the NFL. If if you were only into the NFL because it was all straight dudes, you're probably fucking gay, bro. Like that's where you're at. So everybody's like, this is going to turn people away from the NFL. They're going to they're going to boycott the NFL. No, they're not. What if you if you're a hardcore NFL fan? What the fuck else do you have going on in your life where you're going to turn off the NFL? You're going to stop watching football because some guy likes to suck dicks. Really? Like, is that really... The, the, the outrage about this was so absurd. Yeah, is this a capitalistic move for attention and, and quality PR? Yes. Did it work? Yeah. Do you think... Do I think the NFL actually gives a fuck about LBGTQRS Niner rights? No, they don't give a fuck in the same way that when you buy wheat thins, you're not actually supporting them in the fight for racial justice. Okay, that is the reality. They're doing it for the money. All right? They're going to put some rainbow flag NFL shirts out. It was also Pride Month. It's a good time to come out. Awesome. Whatever. But the complaints on it, it's like, oh, people aren't, they don't have enough gay pride. Or it's all, they, they, they only do it for gay pride month. It's like, just shut the fuck up. Can anybody ever just shut the fuck up about anything? <laughs> like, why is this a problem? It's a 30-second ad saying that, hey, if you're a gay or a lesbian or a transgender or whatever, 
NFL's cool with you. Is that a, is that a controversial statement? I'd like to go ahead and say this. Politically Homeless, the podcast, is gay and lesbian and transgender and straight and black and white and brown and whatever. It's honest. I'll say that. But what the fuck does it matter? What is it? What, why? Why, why is this something to be outraged about? That's the thing that tripped me out. It's like, why would anybody actually give a fuck? It's the same thing that happened with the, with the Loki situation, right? The, the, the Loki um, show on, on Disney+, Plus, uh, he came out as bisexual and gender fluid, right? And then <laughs> the Daily Wire was like, yeah, well, this is just is so, culture war, bullshit, virtue signaling. And I'm like, actually, no. If you go back to the Greek mythology, Loki was a shapeshifter who would change from men to women to horses. He actually fucked a horse once. Yeah. And he gave birth as a woman, right? So it wasn't actually a he, they, whatever, she, Gave birth as a woman. Loki was a shapeshifter, a trickster. Okay, that's the that's kind of the thing. That's the mythology. So it's also comic book accurate because it's a fucking comic book character. We have all this stuff. It's like people getting outraged over nothing and crying like little bitches. So when you see this out in the world, when you see this out in the world, whenever you look, scroll through your Instagram and you see somebody crying about football being gay or Loki being gender fluid or whatever, whatever, I just want you to look at that and inside of yourself, just embody this and say, wow, no one fucking cares and just keep scrolling. Maybe hit them with an unfollow because at the end of the day, that is the most nonsensical, non-helpful, non-productive cry for attention that, I, that we see in the world today. It's, no, it's nothing but a cry for attention to be so upset about brands marketing themselves in a way that gets them attention because that's what brands do. That's what brands do. It's weird. It's weird. It's crazy. But I wanted to bring this up just because the amount of outrage, the amount of frustration, the, 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 the outcries of, of immorality were so telling and just so fucking stupid. We, are we not better than this? It's 2021. <laughs> like, if you want to suck dicks, suck all the dicks. You know? I, just sack the fucking quarterback. I don't know. Maybe don't suck his dick while you sack him. That seems inappropriate. That could be problematic. But like, keep it in your personal life. You're good. Who cares? Who fucking cares? A, a gay NFL player is much better than an NFL player who beats his wife or girlfriend, which happens all the time, and you don't see a public outcry from the right about that. Huh. May tell you something. So as we talked about war earlier in the Middle East, um, this was brought to my attention in the, one of the premium Patreon podcasts the other day, is, is the amount of people that support and, and assist the United States government in these war efforts who really pay the consequences whenever we decide to leave and vacate and kind of leave them to whatever regime decides to take over, right? So the same thing happened in South Vietnam. We bailed. Um, the people that fought with the United States in South Vietnam were systematically murdered after we left and the communists took over all of Vietnam because we lost that war. We need to take ownership of the fact that we fucking lost that war. That was nonsense, right? We have a very similar situation going on in the Middle East right now where we have people that are translators and, and run support um, for the United States. Now, what will happen when the United States withdraws, which will be happening soon, is that those families... Um, those people, uh, that, that there's 18,000 of them, as we'll hear here in just a second, um, John Kennedy and Rand Paul kind of get into it over this situation. Um, those people will be murdered. 
Their families will be murdered. Their wives might get raped right in front of them and then murdered before they're murdered. That's what happens when you bail. And we do nothing to take responsibility for these people. We do nothing to assist these people. We just leave them high and dry to be just destroyed by the Taliban. So this is something here. John Kennedy's come on my radar, one, because of the whole Bernie <laughs> ignorant slut comment and that whole thing. Um, dear near attendance confirmation, that was fucking hilarious. But I want to see the difference here. I want you, I'm gonna, we're going to play this in an eight and a half minute video, and I'm going to play the whole thing because I think this is incredibly important and something that we need to have more eyes on, is these people that are our allies in, in countries where we are making war and us doing nothing to support them whenever we decide to bail out and the consequences of that. And you can see the difference when it comes to Representative John Kennedy and Rand Paul, um, the difference between being a person who's committed to doing what's right and a person who's being a complete cunt. Um, so let's check this out really quick. Senator from Louisiana. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President, I think as we're all aware, President Biden has uh, decided to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan in September. Now, some agree with his decisions, decisions, some disagree with his decision. The bill that I'm about to talk about has nothing to do with the merits of his decision. Um, there are about 18,000, not 1,800, 18,000 interpreters and members of their immediate family who helped our troops fight the war in Afghanistan against the Taliban and against ISIS. Uh, they are at risk. There was an article uh, in a leading newspaper, Mr. President, yesterday, I'll read you the headline. It says, Afghan government could collapse six months after U.S. withdrawal. Um, these 18,000 interpreters and their immediate families who have helped American troops would like to get out. We have a visa process, which is going very, very slowly. We will not be able to get all of those 18,000 human beings out uh, before the withdrawal in September. That much is clear. Again, my bill has nothing to do with the merits or lack thereof of the war. My, my bill would direct the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State to develop a plan to relocate the Afghan interpreters and their immediate families that want to get out and bring them to America. Now, obviously, before we bring them to America, those that want to come, we have to vet them. That's part of the problem. Uh, the, the vetting process right now is very slow. Rather than try to put together a bill that would set forth a specific plan to address this, this I consider it a crisis, if you're one of those 18,000 human beings, my bill would just direct the, the Defense Department and the State Department to come up with a plan to present to us within 30 days. Now, 
my guess, and it's only a guess, is that the state, state and defense are going to come up with some plan to move those of the 18,000 who want to leave Afghanistan to a safe uh, third place other than America so that we can continue to properly vet folks before they come into America. And I suggest we do need to properly vet them. But I also suggest, Mr. President, that number one, um, this is about, it's about right and wrong. Uh, the, these people helped Americans, and they helped American troops, and we owe them. And we don't want to see them massacred. And number two, if we allow them to be massacred, I think it's going to send a message to, to many people throughout the world that uh, loyalty to America means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Preach, my man. So in a nutshell, this, uh, this bill would ask our Defense Department and our State Department in the next 30 days to give a plan to Congress to uh, properly vet and allow any of these 18,000 interpreters and their families who helped uh, American troops come to America. And with that, Mr. President, as if in legislative session, I ask unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the immediate consideration of S-2216, which was introduced earlier today. Further, I ask unanimous consent, Mr. President, that the bill be considered read a third time and passed, and that the motion to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table. Is there objection? Mr. President. Senator from Kentucky. Reserving the right to object. In the first few decades after the Revolutionary War, America was under siege. Our capital was ransacked. But I don't recall in reading history that any of our founding fathers said that they would flee the country or leave and give up on the quest for liberty. The quest for liberty requires fighting by the people who have been given their liberty, the people who we have helped to get their liberty. You can say the people in Afghanistan helped us, or you can also say we helped liberate them as well. They've been free for 20 years. It seems like it might precipitate the overcoming of the Taliban if you take 18,000 of the most westernized, those who speak English, and you say, flee, 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 the end is coming. Well, guess what? The end comes quicker if they all leave. So I would encourage them rather to stay and fight. I think it would be good to have many English speakers in Afghanistan. The future of Afghanistan could be a bright future, but they're going to have to fight for it. And ultimately, it is their fight. And if we offer easy escape and easy plans to leave the country, we are assuring the defeat of the people who are our friends in Afghanistan. So I object to this uh, piece of legislation. Mr. President. Objection is heard. Mr. Senator President. From Louisiana. Mr. President, I, I respect my colleague, and I certainly respect his right to object. Um, I disagree. We're all aware of what's going on in Afghanistan. The Afghan government is in a bitter fight to the end with the Taliban. And the Taliban's winning. And the Taliban is ruthless. And they're going to murder these people. They're going to murder them. And the blood's going to be on American hands if we don't do something to help them. 
My, my, my proposal would not have required any of these 18,000 Afghans who stood with American troops to beat back the Taliban and to beat back ISIS. They stood with us at their own risk, at the risk of their own kids and their own spouses. And we decided to leave. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I have my own opinions, but that's not what this bill is about. And we owe it to these 18,000 people to offer them a chance to live. And if we don't do something, they're going to be butchered. They're going to be gutted like a deer. Like a deer. And the blood's going to be on American hands. And the whole world is going to take notice. There's right and wrong in this world. There's politics. There's a time for it. But there's a time to do the right thing. And the right thing is to help save these human lives who fought for America and their families and their children. I suggest the absence of a quorum. Okay, so we see that there. And this is something, this isn't fun. This isn't sexy. This isn't culture war shit. This isn't, you're not going to see this very many places. This is going to be covered very often. But it came across my radar thanks to the politically homeless Patreon community. And then this popped up on my, on my YouTube. And I was like, all right, let's, just, let's check this out. I'll let you make your decision for what you think the right move is. But Rand Paul, comparing what's happening with the Taliban to the fucking American Revolution is not in good faith. Now, John Kennedy, uh, a Republican from Louisiana, you can say what you want, you want about him. But the dude seems to be a, pr a principled actor. And what he's saying is not wrong is not false. And what you know is that there will be videos of, of them murdering these people's families saying, this is what happens. This is what happens when you help, help, help the United States. This is what happens. And the whole world will take notice because the collateral damage of our wars goes unnoticed and unappreciated. And he's 1,000% right, in my opinion, that the blood will be on our hands. You make your, you make your own mind up but the objection to that via Rand Paul, I find atrocious in bad faith and pure cowardice. Now, it's that time of the show where I give you something to think about. Let's get into it. So, I was pretty high the other night <laughs> before I was sick. I was pretty high, just thinking, talking. Sometimes Kelly just sits on the couch with me and lets me ramble for a little while. And sometimes some good, some good stuff comes out of that. And I was thinking, you know, I, I, I call myself a little bit of a, a libertarian socialist, and, and, and I know some other people who do that too, but we're, there's like 14 of us in the world. <laughs> it, seems, it seems at this point, maybe I'm wrong, let me know in the comments, but when we look at this situation, right, and, and why libertarianism and socialism seem to be gaining traction, right? 
depending on where you started, those camps um, seem to be gaining traction and, and gaining a voice, which I find productive. I think that's a, that's a good place. I would like for our government to be made up mostly of libertarians and socialists, right? Because in between those two ideologies, we may be able to find some common ground. And if we had a blend of those, in my opinion, we'd be in a much better place. They may seem unreconcilable, but I think they very much are cohesive in the way they view things. And here's why. Here's what I want you to think about. There's one key component to libertarianism and socialism that is vital. The linchpin, in my opinion. And that is a big fuck you to the government. Now, the reasons for that fuck you are different, but they're cohesive in a way. Libertarians believe that the government needs to stay the fuck out of people's business and they want more space. They want less interference from the government. They feel like that equals freedom. People on the left, socialists, if you will, what's called a socialist now, even though that term has lost quite a bit of meaning, their fuck you to the government comes from a place of wanting to hold the government accountable and wanting the government to do what it's designed to do, what it's capable of, what it ought to be able to accomplish. And they see that as increasing freedom. They don't see going bankrupt because of your medical bills freedom at all. And I have to agree with that. I also have to agree with uh, government interference in our day-to-day lives not equating to freedom either. Which is why I sat with libertarians on many things. And it's a challenging place to be, to sift through this and have internal debates. But what we need to understand is that there is a lot of common ground between the libertarians and the democratic socialists. Let's call it democratic socialism because that makes a lot more sense based upon where we're at currently. There is a lot more common ground there than people want to see. And if you could see through the bullshit and get over the propagandization of each side, there could be some really important and productive discussions. But we've got to overcome the bullshit. We've got to overcome the partisanship. We've got to overcome the media telling us to hate each other. And have those conversations in good faith. Not tell someone that they're wrong or they hate America because they're on the left or that someone's a fucking white supremacist because they're on the right. That does not help. That does not move us forward. I will put a lot down saying that there's more common ground than there is not. And I think that if we just take a breath, we can see that. But nonetheless... It's something to think about. I made it through this show without sniffling too much, but they're coming on now. I know that's gross. I'm sorry, but I love you still. Join the Patreon, y'all. Do it. It's worth it. Bonus episode every week. (sighs) Glad to be back. Even sick. I'll be better, though. New studio. New stuff coming your way. Love you guys. Keep your head on straight, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.